0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And we got back-to-back historic episodes. Uh, Standard is, is still fine. It's still good. But it just seems like a lot of things are shifting to historic at that point, And that's kind of where everyone's
1: focus is. Yeah, the process of, like, nailing exactly what the Magic community is honed in on has gotten far more complicated in the present era. Like it used to just be like, oh, what's the Star City format for this weekend? Or what's this tournament that's going on? And now you have to kind of guess what people are really interested in. You take the temperature in the room, you watch Twitter conversations, hang out in the Discord, see what people are talking about. And my best guess is that the interest still lies on Historic following the release of Amonkhet Remastered. Also, uh, SCG Tour Online firing this weekend. There's going to be a bunch of the preliminaries. And then the Sunday finals where you can qualify for the Pro Tour, Players Tour. I was just going to call it a Pro Tour. Games. You get to, you get to qualify for games to play and, uh, <laughs> and dollars to put in your pocket. So, yeah, it, it seems like that's where we're, we're headed towards for this weekend.
0: Yeah, Historic Pro Tour coming up too, and uh, Kaladesh Remastered obviously breathing a little bit of life into the format too, making people a little bit more excited about it, and I think that that's cool. I don't know, we talked a little bit last week about Historic versus Pioneer, and I I think this is a reason why Historic should continue to exist, is because you get to slowly work backwards as far as you want. And then you can do random things like the anthology stuff and continually keep it interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's an easy format to build and it's easy to get people interested in and serves as that important home for cards that exist on Arena. So I've never been of the opinion that Historic has to go anywhere. Like To me, that that's the one that's safe. That's the one that should continue to exist. It's Pioneer, I'm not so sure about. But we talked about that last week. Don't have to get back into it here. But you're spot on. This is shaking up the format exactly enough, I would say. Like it's not a complete... Revamping, things don't feel out of order. And as I say that, I realize I said that about the release of Zendikar Rising, too, and then Omnath came and ruined every format. So <laughs> I, I say that with a little bit of trepidation. It, it's hard to say that with high levels of confidence right now, but all of these cards seem like fine addition to the format. And they're doing some expected things and some unexpected things uh, in the first week. There, there's some consequences that I didn't quite unpack when we were doing our top 10 show last week.
0: Yep. Uh, so normally we end the cast with a question from a listener, but we're going to start it today because these questions, we got a couple of them and they're pretty similar. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do them both. Okay. How's that sound? All sure. right. So uh, first one from squirrel master, if you just started arena and want to jump into historic, how do you go about building a collection other than dumping a thousand dollars into arena? And then a uh, similar question from firemind 12, I've never played a game of Historic and have a small to medium-sized arena collection. Where should I start?
1: So I think there's two parts to these questions. And one is kind of a technical question, like how do you optimize your dollar investment to get the most out of it? And the other part of the question is, what deck do you play? How How do you get into the format in the cheapest way possible with the fewest number of wild cards? Do you think that's a fair reading of what's being asked here?
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. There's another thing where it's like, how do you see your future involvement in Historic? Because sure. you know, Squirrel Master I, talks about building a collection, right? So it's probably going to end up being, you know, trying out a decent amount of decks, having a lot of various options, like probably going long as far as like organized play is concerned, right? Yeah. And then Fire Minds is more of like an entry level thing where... You know, what is what is actually the best way to get going? Uh, and I think that those two track pretty well with each other, you know?
1: No, I agree. And obviously, the quickest solution is always the dollar bill solution. But Swipe, there,
0: swipe that credit card.
1: Yeah, there, there are more efficient ways to do it, though. In fact, I think drafting on Arena is great. I, I think the value proposition is absolutely there. Now, maybe that's because I'm an above average drafter and I, I win a lot. But look at it this way. Even if you're a pretty medium drafter, like, you know, GP level drafter, I think. Whoa, that if, dude. GP <laughs> shade. I'd, uh, well, <laughs> you know, take it, take it where it comes. But anyway, if you have some level of competence with draft, you've been around Magic Online, you've played some in-person events, or you just hang out with your friends and draft a bunch. I do think that if on a monthly basis, you just kind of play the early stages of the ladder, like you go bronze to gold or whatever in the best-of-one drafts, the competition at that point is so soft that you should win a lot. And if you just stop when you get to gold and do that on a month-to-month basis, I really think it's so easy to be positive. And I have every single time I focused on drafting on Arena, have come out ahead by a lot too. And I'm not even stopping. like I keep going until I hit – mythic or whatever, if I really enjoy the draft format. And it still comes out really far in my favor. So maybe I should say this a little bit quieter so they don't start adjusting things and and take this option away. But if you have the time, you'd like drafting and you're good at it, I really do think you can build an arena collection by doing a bunch of that. Uh, As long as you're patient, you can't expect that you're going to hop in do a bunch of drafts, cruise to mythic, and now you have all the cards you need. But if you do this on a month-to-month basis, that kind of cycle of staying on the lower parts of the ladder, I think you really get a lot of value for a very low dollar input.
0: Just recommending that everyone starts smurfing. I love it.
1: I mean, the system kind of lets you do it. There's two weird things about the system. You, You can do that thing where you draw as much value out of it as possible. Or if your priority is getting to mythic, you can do the opposite and just throw money at the problem. And you draft. If your draft deck is good, you play it. If it's not, you just drop immediately. And then you don't give up any ranks. You draft again, and then you continue your climb that way. So if your focus is just like making sure you're in the arena qualifiers at the end of every month, you can just dump money into the problem, which is really weird. But both of these things are fine under the way the system is set up. So why not take advantage of it?
0: Yeah. I think the big difference between these questions is about time and certainly, you know, right. money is time and time equates to money. So yeah, if, if you have, you know, small to medium sized arena bankroll and you have enough time to devote to limited and it doesn't necessarily feel like a chore to you, then by all means do that because I agree with you. I think it's great. And a little anecdote here. I spent a 100 when Kaladesh came out and I had some Mythic Wild Cards left over, but I was out of rares. And there were a bunch of decks I wanted to build. And I haven't quite gotten to the point where I can build all of them. And I also didn't want to spend like another $100 or whatever. So I just started doing some drafts. Mm-hmm. And I have not, you know, I've basically been doing what, what you said, you know, where kind of accidentally, really. It was just like a new set would come out. I do a few drafts kind of get bored of it, and I just end up in bronze again, right? Yep. And my experience in bronze isn't like, oh, this is this is just free money or whatever. Uh, there are definitely some matches like that, which, you know, also kind of like takes some of the fun away it from does. It, it. does. Depending on, on what you're trying to do. But I've also had some matches where I'm just like, my opponent is not a bronze level player, you know? So, well,
1: if we're all doing this, then we're going to end up there playing against each other, right? And I've definitely right. played against names I recognized in bronze, too. So, yes, that does happen. But certainly the high percentage is, you know, not of the super informed drafters.
0: Right, exactly. So, I, yeah, I definitely recommend that. And obviously, you know, you're incentivized to do like a little bit of rare drafting since you're trying to build your collection. But maybe since the matches are easier, that won't affect you that much. And that was kind of what I was doing. I was like, ooh, Spire of Industry, I only have one of these, you know, that's a wild card. All right. So I've also been doing that and also just been enjoying it. And I think, I mean, that's the reason why I was joining those queues is because I like artifact-based draft formats a decent amount. So
1: this one was one that I actually did want to draft. Do you want to hit our listeners up with some quick draft tips for this format? Do you have anything that's been particularly good for you or... Uh,
0: I mean, I don't I don't feel qualified enough to give okay. any help. Basically, like, if I can draft Blue Red, I will. And just, like, some improvised stuff, the Gear Seeker Serpents, card advantage removal, but mostly focusing on, like, the Aether servo making two drops. Yep. So, I don't know. Not, nothing super fancy. The one that I currently have right now is, like, Green Black Energy, which is just a pile of crap. But... You know, you, you win some, you lose some. I kind of wanted to drop, but i know, got to get my money back.
1: Sure. Got to grind out that value.
0: Yep. So I, I agree with that. Easiest way to do it is is just swiping a credit card, obviously, but not everyone has that luxuries. But uh, Arena with like, you know, the the daily quest bonuses and like, you know, just getting gold from that and using that to draft and stuff like that. Like you can build a collection over time pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I I know like my perspective on this is it's certainly warped by my experiences somewhere along the way, probably with like Magic Online and actual magic. But to me, Arena seems pretty generous. And I, I already know as I say that, like I can see our YouTube comment section blowing up in my head. People don't feel that way. To me, it seems like you, you can engage with the game as a both free to play player or a low econ player and get a very reasonable set of decks. As I say that, I will immediately acknowledge that most other digital TCGs do an even better job. So I'm kind of equating this as the equivalent form of Magic, you know, where where it's exactly the paper game, and then it looks kind of cheap. But in comparison to other digital TCGs, it doesn't quite track. But you know what? Those games aren't Magic. And there's a reason I do a Magic podcast and write about Magic and have played Magic for... 26 years. It's because it's the best. So if you want to play the best, I guess there's a little premium you're going to pay to do. So I, I still find arena entirely reasonable though.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good as far as like, okay, here's some gold, here's some packs, here's some random cards And magic online. Doesn't give that to you, but at the same time, it's way easier to liquefy your magic online collection. It is, you know, so arena has that, problem for sure where it's like you're accumulating all of these things but they may or may not be worth anything to you which sucks
1: yeah it does open up some of like we always use this term ironically but I actually mean it here magic as Garfield intended where you're just like taking your available cards and putting that together to make your decks and like granted that's not what we do here like this is a different podcast but there is a large number of people who use arena in that fashion and are discovering magic in that way. And maybe eventually they'll end up here listening to this podcast and starting to do the more refined metagame. But I I like that it opens those doors for people too. And it kind of forces you to go through the exploratory process that you and I went through naturally. Like we had to do this because it's just, maybe I'm speaking for myself here. I won't speak for you. But when I started playing, There was just no information. So you just took your cards and you put them together in interesting ways and tried to do something powerful. And I think some number of people are getting that experience for a pretty low cost, which I really like.
0: Yeah. But if you want to participate the way that a lot of people are trying to participate through like organized play and stuff like that, it's either going to take you a long time or some money. Absolutely. So... Figure out what you want to do. Maybe it is, you know, short-term goal, long-term goal type of thing where it's like, I would like a deck to play. Well, figure out what deck you want to be playing and, I don't know, maybe wait for this next Pro Tour to happen because you'll have like a large sample size of different archetypes you can choose from. Maybe you can aim for something that has a lower amount of rare, mythic, wild cards, stuff like that. Start working towards that and then... Use that as your way to dip your toes in the format, learn the format, and maybe, you know, try and branch out into other decks from there.
1: Yeah, I actually have some firsthand experience, uh, almost as a consultant to someone who is engaging in this fashion with Historic. My brother doesn't spend money on Arena, but has put together like he he had one or two standard decks, which were of the budget range. And he's like, well, now I want to play some Historic. And he used to play Mono Blue. And standard and now he's ported that over to historic again with with no money in and like i think he was on the verge of mythic last i talked to him just playing mono blue and historic and i don't think mono blue is the best deck but we talked a few weeks ago about how there is like metagame space for that deck to be good and he tunes it and he comes up with sideboard plans in part based on cards he has but like finds ways to win under those constraints and and does quite well. So that's one deck that comes to mind. Like if you're looking for an entry point and you love that play style, because I know a lot of people are large fans of like mono blue tempo style decks. That deck seems fine right now and you can build it very, very cheaply.
0: Yeah. I I guess that's one of the good things about historic is that there is a lot of power level across the board. And we're going to talk about a lot of decks today that are, like wildly diverging archetypes and strategies and things like that. And some of them are pretty cheap. Like I I think either mono white auras, blue, white, white, black, however you want to build it. I mean, that's uh, mana base considerations aside, like you don't have a ton of rares in a deck like that. And mono blue is another one.
1: Yeah. And even mono red, it, it depends on the particular build of mono red, but some builds are definitely more on the cheap spectrum of things. And, you know, for go, the mythic rares like Embercleave and are just built around rares. And I think any deck that primarily generates its power from the rare slot and not the mythic slot, and also you have to play some commons and uncommons. And it's weird because lots of decks just kind of skip that rarity at this point. And it seems like they have to be trying to do something specific before they have to dip into commons, uncommons, but they do exist. And if you find those and you only have to come up with like, you know, 25 rare wild cards to produce a deck, that's very attainable with very minimal investment.
0: Yeah. One thing that I would like to see them do is more Monastery Swiss Spears and fewer Soulscar Mages.
1: I agree with you. I think that's a, a large positive for the player base.
0: For the player base, yeah. For the company, maybe not. But I mean, you can also, it's not like, you know, desirable rare just goes away or whatever. You can just make a different desirable rare, right? hmm Yeah. Uh, but, but maybe that doesn't track as far as like arena sales or whatever. Or like, you know, getting people to the point where I was in where Kaladesh comes out and I've I've mostly been bled dry by other things. So it's either I put money in or I don't participate, you know?
1: Yeah. It's weird. The goals have obviously gotten murky at this moment and mucked up and people still are complaining about the Mythic Rare slot, And they say, oh, well, they said this is what Mythic Rares will be. We're so far gone from that. Like it's not even worth mentioning what they said Mythic Rares would be they're they're not that they're something different they were always going to become something different and they are firmly there at this point so uh, i understand the frustration but we kind of have to let that promise go and understand that that was never going to be a real thing
0: but i, I don't know mono red right now is just like almost everything is a rare which sucks like yeah. when we start getting rare lightning strikes then I'm, I'm really gonna be upset
1: but yeah it feels like only a matter of time like, everything goes in that direction yep
0: Anyway, my experience with Historic since Kaladesh came out or was re-released, however you want to look at it, was brewing a bunch of stuff, looking at what everyone else was doing, and I don't know, just like mostly trying out new things or things that got like a lot of different upgrades. So things like uh, Sultai mid-range uh, with or without Yisharn was not really something that I've been messing with, but it sounded like your experience was a little bit different.
1: Yeah, I basically have just continued to play exactly that deck to see what is happening around me. I didn't play a ton of Historic this week. I'm more hung back and watched, but the games I did play were with Sultai. And I have bad news if you're an Euro hater, that card's still good. And- Will be until the end of time, and there's no way around that, and you should account for it. And uh, if you had to pin me down to a deck to play right now, I'm probably just playing mid midrange still. I like playing really powerful cards, I like playing that style of magic, and Uro's absolutely preposterous. You have tools for everything that's showing up in the meta, meta game, but I, I'm seeing some interesting things going on around all of this. And when I say mid midrange, I should Say I'm also including Yasharn in various configurations of that. Maybe that's unfair, but I just kind of count it as the same deck. So it is the uh, same deck. What do they call it? Four color big pig. That's also soultime mid range to me.
0: Yeah, it's it's the same thing. Uh, so yeah, what what is going on around and also how do you feel about new things being introduced? Like, do you think that you are now stretched like a little too thin on what sort of answers you want, or is this? deck, mostly just like a copy paste from a few weeks ago.
1: It's mostly a copy paste, but the thing that has changed is not really, it's, it's less about what I'm trying to answer because you can kind of paint that very broadly. Like I'm still trying to answer things coming out of your library or your graveyard. So I can still graft Digger's Cage if that's what I want to do. Uh, obviously, like the Uro synergy is problematic, but most Soul Tide decks are built where they'll sideboard out Uros pretty happily and- just go ahead and go to Graft Digger's cage. And that's been fine for me. I know it's not like the cleanest deck building, but like it's what works. And your cards are powerful enough that you can get away from Uro in a lot of games.
0: Most decks that you want a cage, you don't necessarily need Uro against Very good to point. beat. So yeah. like Jun Sacrifice might be the example where like having the life gain would be nice. But I mean, if you get to side those out, then maybe their claims are just completely blank. So maybe that's that's a benefit.
1: Sure. Yeah. So the way I see the the main change is less about what I am accounting for and how people are accounting for me. And the particular card that I sort of poo-pooed when we did our review last week that actually is having a fairly sizable impact is Chandra. And mostly for its ability to interact with Yasharn. I, that's, I mean, obviously I'm going to have my experience tainted a little bit by what I'm playing. So if I'm playing Disharn decks, no kidding, I'm going to say, whoa, Chandra's a big deal. But it seems people are picking up on this. And I'm seeing copies of Chandra in Goblins lists, which I didn't think we'd do that. You can play it in Jun Food if you want to. You know, you find it off your various search engines if you're doing Trail of Crumbs type stuff. Obviously, collected company plans become worse when you're doing Chandra things. But Yasharn was a real, real changing point for the format. A lot of decks got much worse when that card became a big, big part of it. And having a very versatile, sort of strange answer that still contributes to your core plans is a really big get for a lot of these decks.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I I think Chandra is definitely showing up in a lot of places, and it has mostly impressed which I guess shouldn't be, you know, that surprising. It's, it's just always weird to me where it's like, I'm pretty sure the format or like magic in general has just passed this card by on power level. But I don't know, things like that still find a way to be quite good. And like- It's
1: got a role and, it, and it's, it's got four yeah. things it does too. So like <laughs> you can find something for the card to do even when it's bad.
0: Right. So I don't know, like Chandra in uh, Goblins, doesn't surprise me because it it just like contributes to your overall game plan right it like ramps you into muxis kills you sharon whatever yep and then in the jun decks i think it's just like more of the same like the deck is kind of grindy you can do explosive things if you have a bunch of mana like the deck can be kind of clunky a lot of the times if you have like mayhem devils and midnight reapers and stuff like that and you just get to like play out all your cards uh, it's, I mean, if you've ever had like a really good turn with Priests of the Forgotten Gods, you, you know what I'm talking about. And then yep. the the season finals where a bunch of people played Jun Sacrifice into a bunch of Yasharns and a lot of the Jun lists just didn't have a way to kill it. I think that no matter what, they were going to figure that out, right? Like they were going to start playing Heartless Act or whatever the best removal spell is. And this just makes it so easy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Getting the easy mode answer is worth a lot to these archetypes chances. And I think this is like kind of the update on the existing stuff, like barring the addition of a wholly new deck that completely changes what you're supposed to be focusing on in the metagame. These are the ripples you should be playing, paying very close attention to. And like I said, I, I still think I'm playing four color soul tie pretty happily. It's just, it's not, As easy as it was before. And maybe it does incentivize you to actually get away from your shard. Like maybe you just want to say, I don't want Chandra to be that good against me. I don't, I don't need to let it be that good against me. But again, diverse card. So just because it's not killing this one thing doesn't mean it's sitting there as a blank. That's a question that these decks are going to have to figure out as the metagame develops. And we see how widely adopted Chandra is.
0: Yeah, it's it's always a big feel bad, right? When you you draw your sideboard card or you draw your haymaker sort of thing and they, they just very easily shrug it off. It's just like, what, what's the point? You know, maybe yeah. I should look for something else.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's fair.
0: One, one thing I will note about historic too, is that I don't think I've played a single match against Saltai. And if I did, it's like one, uh, I've, I've just played against like a lot of different stuff. And I'm hearing things from people where it's just like, Oh, Marvel is everywhere. Or Mono red is everywhere. And it's like, I've played like a hundred matches since Kaladesh came out or something. And I don't think I've played against the same deck, you know, more than five or 10 times. So this is the experience from Magic that I think a lot of people want, where you just play against like a diverse suite of decks and the games are fun and interesting. There's a lot of replayability. So I don't know. I recommend this format pretty heavily
1: right now. Me too. And I I didn't think we'd get to that point. And I'm Honestly, a little surprised we got to that point because the management around the format hasn't been what I would term like the most hands-on. It seems like a lot of of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants decisions and you kind of end up with weird, weird metagames that don't make a lot of sense. But in their defense, they've fixed those metagames and they've taken action and they've, they've gotten rid of the outliers. And this is a format where you really see the value of aggressive banning. Because this format 10 years ago, if you tried to do it with the band philosophy of 10 years ago, I don't think it works. I think it just crumbles pretty quickly. People would have lost interest. But the rapid bands have done a really good job of keeping me coming back to historic for more.
0: Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. I I don't miss any of the cards that are gone, really. So I'm pretty happy with how things have turned out. And it went from what I kind of considered to be like a fake format where it's like they implemented it just for the sake of doing it. So people could use their old cards and it didn't look like they're really caring about it all that much to like, Oh, like this is, this is serious business now and the format's actually in a really good place.
1: There's a good lesson to be learned too. Like we had this same experience with pioneer, right? Where the format got to a really good place and then things got a little weird and they kind of took their foot off the gas because the, narrative around bands I think had become so pervasive with the format and their whole like very high band period. And it was all, again, a bit of a mess, a bit of an unstructured type approach, but they got to the place where they had decided to take their foot off the gas and there was still a lot of problems just sitting there in the format. There was Inverter of Truth, there was Underworld Breach, and they lasted for way too long and completely tanked the momentum of the entire format along with a bunch of other stuff. But in, in this scenario, their action has actually been really swift and it seems like it's doing a really good job keeping interest high.
0: Yeah. So cautionary tale. I think do, so, not, yeah. do not take your foot off the gas. Like, please keep curating this format. Again, maybe without Firexian Tower type of stuff. But like keep keep caring, keep showing that you care. If there's a problem, get rid of it, you know?
1: Yeah, I don't I don't care if you're gonna make Firexian Tower, honestly. Like take your shots, but just be ready to correct. Say that again we're back to this point that we've we've emphasized a bunch of times like I don't care what you do with your band form your band policy but make it clear to your players so they know what they're getting into yeah and they know what they can anticipate and then I don't think we'll have any problems
0: yeah man it, especially for something like historic it should be. Something along the lines of if a card gets banned, you should probably get double the wild cards.
1: Yeah. You should get, I think this all goes away. If you just give two wild cards and then nobody complains about bans, and you understand that's how you engage with historic and we can all be happy. And we don't have periods where we sit through miserable meta games and, look, you give up a little bit of money up front with those four wild cards and you make a lot of money on the back end when you keep people coming back for more over and over. With every single remastered set you do, if you have a devoted base of historic players that are forking over their money as fast as they can so they can build their new decks, you've hit a home run. And the way you do that is just by keeping the format good and staying engaged with it.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how much it actually... Walls, people say, say you ban some. You know, we, we've had these questions like, how do I get into historic? Clearly, there are people out there who are still not engaging with the format quite yet. And if you know, we're singing the praises of like this ban heavy format, I mean, ideally, it doesn't come to that, but like, I like the fact that when there are problems, they get addressed. So, like, mm-hmm. you get involved in historic and you spend a bunch of wild cards to build this deck, and then you know, something it's banned poof. and you get four wild cards for your trouble. Like that is more of a disincentive to continue with the format than just like getting double the wild cards. It's not like, Oh yeah. Like I was going to spend more money, but I just have these free wild cards instead. It's like, no, those wild cards aren't going to be enough to get someone to another deck on their own. Yeah. Right. But yeah. it's going to incentivize people to maybe like continue investing in the format because it's, they're not taking that big of a hit right? So I, I don't even know if it's like, oh, you're losing money up front.
1: Yeah. It kind of seems like a no-brainer to me. I don't know why we've been so strict about it. I mean, I do know why. What's, what's the answer whenever I say we don't know why?
0: It's uh, money. Uh, money. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I,
1: I was wondering if that
0: was like a trick question somehow. Nope. But.
1: nope very obvious, very obvious answer. It's, it's always money. Uh, yeah. So that, that's how we've gotten to the point. But I am saying, even if that's your master and you're all about the money, uh, I think you can make more of it with a more generous refund policy.
0: Yeah, it's just it's so weird to me. Where I don't know, it just seems like a fundamental lack of understanding with how your player base operates.
1: Yeah, because I like to do this, I'll, I'll guess I'll give another perspective. There's also a segment of the player base that I don't feel like I have any understanding of at this point, and that's the people who treat Arena as more of a video game and less of a. TCG with all the trappings of a TCG. I I just don't know enough about them. Like, there's something, something different about the way they're engaging. So, I won't try and speak for them and what they want out of a policy. There's some other subreddits that are like very focused on arena. It's like our magic arena. And I've, I've poked around them and you get a really unique perspective on the game that is clear does not match up with how you and I play magic. So, I won't speak for everyone, but it, it does seem like everyone's going to be happy about more wild cards. Obviously, there's a group of players who don't want to see any bans. And I get that in an ideal world. I also don't want to see any bans, but I'd rather see bans than mistakes.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm mainly speaking to competitive minded players or like competitive hopefuls, the, the players who would probably engage in historic if it wasn't such a huge barrier to entry, you know, like yeah. the, the folks that we opened the cast with. Yep. And. I understand how they operate. And then there are the people who are like in your brother's situation, right? Where it's like, well, given the way that a lot of these bans have happened, it's usually like higher rarity cards that are pushed in power level and are causing problems and getting the axe, right? So someone who's operating on a budget like your brother is probably like very rarely going to get hit by like an euro ban, right? Right. Because he, he would just need like 100 wild cards to build a deck or something. So
1: Yeah. Well, so it depends, right? Either he's very unlikely to be hit because he's using the cheaper decks in the format, or he's spent months and months saving and invested everything he had into that one deck because he wanted the best deck in the format, and then it goes away. I mean, I've heard people say that. It seems yeah. like that's a, a rarer situation, but certainly people have told me that that was their experience. So that's scary.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. But even in that scenario, you're they're they're in the same situation as the person I'm describing. Where if you give them eight for the four cards that they banned, well, maybe they have enough to like Put shift something to else something together. else. Yeah, yeah but instead, it's like, well, I finally built my one deck, and then they just banned it. It's like now I'm now I'm on empty again. Like, what the hell yeah. am I supposed to do? And then they just peace out. I mean, that's what I would do.
1: Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. I'd be done.
0: Anyway, Marvel. Thankfully. Cards are probably not going to get banned
1: from this deck. I don't think so. Uh, I haven't seen a Marvel list that has even looked remotely playable, quite frankly. Check (laughs) out my
0: article coming this Friday on StarSeekyGames.com.
1: Can't wait to read it because thus far the Marvel lists look awful. And I'm not concerned about the deck whatsoever. Now, I said this last week. There's a way you can build these decks where I start to get interested. But... Your card quality suffers so much and the thought that all I'm going to do is just spin my Marvel, put an Ulamog into play and that's going to be good enough, that just ignores what this format's about. A format with main deck Graf Digger's Cage (laughs) at the ready. So I I didn't have a huge fear of Marvel and thus far I'm glad I wasn't too scared of this card because it hasn't shown me anything. I still believe it has like tier two potential. It just hasn't produced it yet so get to work marvel players i guess we'll start with this article on friday
0: uh i did i did a lot of work i tried a lot of different stuff and i and what's I your kinda, take
1: i mean did you get there
0: i have a deck that i think is very good okay but it it is very good because it's not all in on marvel yeah. and that has historically been the case like all in marvel decks are generally not very successful especially in a format like this where you noted a lot of decks are main deck and cage. So you, you just can't do that. Uh, granted Marvel into Ulamog beats basically everyone, but you certainly run into issues when you're just, you know, naturally drawing your Ulamogs and there's not a good way to actually hardcast them. Like there, there are ways to do it if the game goes to like, you know, turn eight. And I think that that's a fine backup plan, but Mostly, I kept the deck functional by shaving on copies of Ulamog.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, t- tell us some more about your deck. I mean, you're not spoiling anything. The article will be out by the time this goes up. What, yeah, were, I mean, what it's, are the hallmark features?
0: It is Teamer. I tried a lot of different stuff. You know, like Cedric, for example, started with Saltai because Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are great, right? And I think that That makes a lot of sense in theory, but the problem with Marvel is that you need Marvel, four lands, energy enablers, and when you're just playing a bunch of cheap interaction and not a lot of like hard advantage type stuff alongside them, you just end up with not enough resources to actually get to a Marvel activation. Mm. And that problem is further exacerbated when you start drawing Ulamogs, right? So. My deck is uh, Chandra and Nyssa as kind of backup plans. Like you're yep. just a team or mid-range deck. Those cards both make mana, which gets you to like Ugin or Ulamog. And the thing that I have that I haven't seen a lot of other people
1: have is Lana Elves. Okay. So just more ramp up and down the curve.
0: Well, Historic's kind of fast, you know? Agreed. Agreed. And I don't think, like if you go, you know, Puzzle Knot, Crack, Puzzle Knot, Marvel... And you get a spin. Well, against most players, you are either just like dead to any sort of disruption, like they thought seize your thing, or play a cage, or counter it, or whatever. And you just spent the entire game doing nothing, or you have to hit Ulamog, otherwise, you probably lose. Yeah. And that's not a good deck. It just isn't. So, Lanor Elves allows you to do this thing where you get to play your three drops on turn two, which makes them a little bit more palatable and. In the conversation for like playable historic card, okay, and yeah, this, this this makes
1: perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah, and then in the in the meantime, you're just like ramping into planeswalkers and stuff. So the mana the mana is good enough for you to like land or elves into warlord virtuoso, and your deck is already built to like cast a tune on turn one. So you know you have the requisite amount of turn one green sources, and land or elves was the thing that made my deck like ten percent better. Okay. And then there's all the fun stuff that I tried and I go over like so many different options in my article and it's just like, this, this just doesn't work.
1: Like what was the craziest thing you tried to put together <sighs>
0: Dude, craziest thing? I don't know. I can look the, one of the things that I keep coming back to is Emery because, yeah. you know, it's, it's like an artifact related thing. You have uh marbles that you can recast from the graveyard. You have Woodweaver's puzzle, Knot as an enabler. You can play like Gilded goose as a, mana accelerator and stuff like that but you just run out of space for actual interaction Mm. so and and then you know emory is also just like kind of a weak card but maybe the maybe the coolest thing i was doing was genesis ultimatum as a thing that you could cast but is also kind of uh you know busted to hit off a marvel yeah and then you i don't know like you can play with it but then it's like you just end up with so many ham sandwiches but yeah, ultimatum, ultimatum was fine. It was cool. Problem I ran into was like you lose to Sultai a lot of the time because they just go over the top of you. And certainly Marvel Mirrors, if they, have, if they have ever hit Ulamog, they go over the top
1: of you. So, yeah. Here's an idea that is gestating in my mind as we have this conversation. And I want to stop the podcast and go try and draft this deck together because that's the way my brain works when I start thinking about a deck. But did you, you, you talked about how you kind of need Ulamog to be castable? Do you ever do anything with a Monument and just like an almost colorless build of Marvel? Where, I mean, maybe you're just like, I'm trying to think how you make this work with the puzzle knots. Like, maybe you are just base green colorless and you play like, do we have, yeah, we have Hash Up Oasis and all these ways of making colorless mana. And then you have Monument on turn five and then you just go turn six, or maybe there's like smaller accelerants along the way too. Like maybe you can still play Llanowar Elves because you're doing things like the DFC Greenland anyway, because you want that effect in your deck. And you're just building this weird colorless mishmash of mana and huge payoffs. So I,
0: I have built that deck as an Emery deck. Okay, I've not built it as a Llanowar Elves deck. You run into a lot of the same problems, though, where it's like your are colorless. Card, qu- so then,
1: card quantity seems like a huge problem.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, so you're colorless so you don't get like the interaction that you kind of need to slow the game down and stuff like that. Your options are super limited. And then your your backup plan is like, all right, cast this monument that basically doesn't do anything and hope to untap with that into Ulamog. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't really like that plan. I would, I would much rather be like, all right, I'm going to play... A uh, rogue refiner, and that's a thing that you'll have to deal with. And then like a Chandra and a Nissa, and if one of those lives, then maybe you get to cast removal.
1: Right. Whereas I, think I have a monument problem, where I just I, I want it to be real so badly.
0: Yeah, it just it doesn't provide you any immediate payoff. Which stays. that
1: turn where you play it and you just do nothing is so painful, so so painful.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons for people to have artifact removal too. I mean, like your your marvels are not safe a lot of the time. Right, and this used to be a thing more so in post board games where you to like curve effectively, or because you had a thing in play that you were going to block with, you would play out Marvel when you had like five energy or something, and then they mm-hmm. would just blow up your Marvel. And it's like, oh, that's stupid. I need to wait until I have six. Well, it's it's like that in game ones now too. So hmm. it's it's obviously different if you're playing multiple artifacts, right? If you're like mindstoning and. Maybe Maze Mine Tome or something like that, where you have a lot of artifacts that they have to interact with, then maybe you don't care, but definitely something to consider, too.
1: Yeah, all, all of this sounds like it's just begging to get run over by anyone who's like trying to attack you. So yes. I, I certainly see the flaw in it, but the the idea of the hard cast Ulamog is very exciting and the pieces sort of fit together, but maybe we're waiting to be something more like Tron before this is safe. Like we need our all is dust and those modes of interaction before we can realistically do things like this.
0: Right. But then why even play Marvel? Why even try and like put that in the energy package into your deck? Because at least like the deck that I built, it's like, okay, you marvel into a Chandra. Maybe that's not 10 mana worth of stuff or whatever, but it's, it's another thread. It allows you to keep going. Cool. And in decks like this, it's like, Oh, I marveled into a because Ulamog right. because in, in the top right. end.
1: Yeah, not really what you're looking for there.
0: Yeah, so that like Marvel itself doesn't really lend itself well to older formats.
1: Yeah, that's been my beef with it the whole time. And we saw that, again, with Pioneer. It's funny how we see a lot of these same beats play out in the historic format. But there's a big squeeze with the power level of the new cards and having to play these very parasitic packages. And I think that's exactly why Marvel just hasn't found its footing yet. I, I love a lot of the ideas you're talking about. I'm curious to see this list. I will certainly give it a shot. Uh, I, I still am doubtful that it has the potential to crack the top tier of the format, given all the things working against it. But what you're describing sounds a bit more promising to me,
0: for sure. It, it, it's funny because I think it is top tier, but I also feel like you could maybe just take the Marvel stuff out and have it still be top tier.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So... You do, do with that information whatever you want. That's interesting. I have, I have four Marvels, two Ulamogs, two Ugins, and that's eight Myth of Wild cards in your pocket, you know, <laughs> if, if you just want to play like team or mid-range. Yeah. So like Bristling Hydra is a card that I don't even think is necessarily that much worse than Marvel, you know?
1: This is a controversial statement you're making right now.
0: It's not because at least with Hydra, you know what you're going to get. And it also like lines up well against Eye for the most part. So
1: yeah, uh, look, I, I mostly agree with you. I, I said, I thought Hydra had a better chance to hit than Marvel because it's self-contained. It's a real card in and of itself. It does something like you said, you know what you're going to get. It, it has a very clear effect and looks good in the context of the format. So I get it. I get what you're saying.
0: There are a couple of things I haven't really tried super hard uh, escape to the wilds is one where I couldn't figure out like a great shell for it, but is obviously like a super, super powerful card and, you know, helps you get to Ulamog is a reasonably powerful hit. So that's one idea. And the other is just like playing fire prophecy somewhere, which is tough because you mm. want a har- a harness lightning and a braid, but that could make it so you could just play for more or for Ulamogs and not care.
1: Yeah. Well, and
0: kind of kind of to that end, you have Charter Course, but then you're like down in Ulamog in your deck, you know?
1: Yeah, no reshuffle clause on that one. So don't get the benefit. I don't know. I, I do want to take another look at the idea of a lot of redundancy being built into the Ulamog decks via uh, the green double-faced land. I-, I think that's a big pickup, and I think you can do something with it. But again, I'm not sure you have to do it with Marvel. Like, I think there's other ways to benefit from that. Sure. When you're doing like... You're just doing Nissa stuff. Well, if you have a seven mana Nyssa hit that can turn into an Ulamog, is that good enough in a bunch of spots? The,
0: I, the problem is, is that
1: Ulamog just entering the battlefield doesn't beat a lot of people. Very different from casting, yes.
0: Yeah. So I'm actually not playing any turn timbers, and part of that is because you need basics for like a tune, and I want to land or into World of Virtuoso. So, so okay. I can't I can't have a lot of lands that are just like strict green. You know?
1: Yeah, yeah. This is this is certainly a different a different deck. Like you're doing something entirely different here if you're trying to maximize that interaction, but. There's a lot of overlapping pieces and respins. And building your deck with as many respins as possible is something that gets me really excited. Like you've certainly seen enough of my decks where you know if I can build in just this hard line and redundancy throughout where all these cards are attempting to do the same thing and get to the same point. I get really into those ideas. And it does seem like there's some of that going on, even with like Escape to the Wilds, Escape to the Wilds into Turn Timber with multiple copies of Ulamog, and you're all working to the same point and you have Nyssa and you just double your mana on that turn and you can hard cast your Ulamogs and all these branching paths that are still leading you down the same road. I love that style of deck building. And it feels like there's something there in Historic. Yeah, I've tried to
0: build a lot of stuff like that where it's like, can I play something that's big that's not Ulamog, but still has a, a close approximation of the effect on the game? And the answer to that is yes, there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah. What's well,
1: closest? Like what, what's the closest? I started thinking of like Dragon Laura, Lord Atarka and cards like that. And they don't compare well to things like Ulamog. How, how can you get close to Ulamog and not have to be all into the 10 mana slot?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it depends on where you're trying to go, right? I think like Sultai is a good baseline. So, you know, maybe it's something that like interacts with a potential Nyssa that's on the battlefield on their side or a uh, big Hydroid graces or something like that. And you Mm. need to be able to like go over the top of those things or beat those things. So I think there are a decent amount of setups that do that, or they're just like, you know, creatures that can do that. Like there's, uh, the, the scholar that the unburial rights decks play where like cast an instant sorcery artifact from your graveyard. Right. It's like, obviously you can do a bunch of weird stuff with that. Genesis ultimatum kind of does it as long as you have ways to interact with their permanence, uh, agent of treachery would have actually been perfect and it's like that's the thing that i've tried doing in pioneer but it's banned in historic so
1: right yeah that's probably for the best
0: yeah so i mean if if you're if marvel ends up like kind of sucking and people stop playing it then you can build a marvel deck that goes big and doesn't rely on ulamog and like ugin is kind of close to that but it has a lot of problems with nissa lands Mm -hmm. but yeah depending on where the format is there's there's a lot of ways you could go
1: I think that's one of the things I like the most about Historic is that all of these decks still feel like they have their branching paths open. Like nothing feels completely closed to me. Like it's supposed to be built exactly in this fashion. And that's good. That means there's potential for churn. There means there's potential for creativity. And that's one of the reasons I'm always excited to go back to Historic.
0: Yeah, there's, there's a ton of playable cards, which helps, right? Because, you know, say you're addicted to Cat Oven and it's like, well... I like Collected Company in this metagame, or I like Bolus to Citadel or, you know, Chandra or whatever, or like, th- as far as like the gruel decks are concerned, it's like, you know, you're not locked into Collected Company and that opens up a bunch of different avenues. And it's kind of the same thing with Eye too, right? It's like you have a bunch of different removal spells, different threats, uh, different uh, sources of like interaction that you could play. You know, you could splash white for certain hate cards, blue white control. If you've ever tried to build a deck like that, I mean, you have so many ton- ways. Yeah, a ton of different options, different win conditions, different card advantage engines. Like, you do get to tailor make a lot of what you want your deck to be doing outside of just this general base strategy.
1: Yeah, and not to harp too much on like the state of Magic, because we've certainly said a bunch about it already in this episode and over the last few months. But this is what we are always saying, like. The ideas that have ruined the past two years of Magic obscured a lot of really interesting, smart, exciting designs that were lurking just below that level of obviously absurdly pushed, absurdly broken stuff. And now with the aggressive approach to banning in this format, all that stuff is getting to shine a little bit and you're getting to use all these various options to attack specific metagames.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's great. I mean... I I don't want to look at like this list of decks and be like, well, this is the only way you can build Sultai or the only way you can build Mono Red, and yeah. it's just it's not true. And you know, if you look at our Twitter account, right, it's like maybe like the last five Mono Red decks that get retweeted are you know all twenty or thirty cards different, right? It's yep. it's just cool.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Uh, anyway, Mono Red, Mono Red is very good. Bowman Courier very busted. Uh, Chandra quite good there too
1: all tracks. I I know a lot of folks are really excited about the way mono red has been playing plenty of people sitting towards the top of the ladder and it makes sense, right? If you try to muck around with nonsense, mono red is going to kill you in this format. The cards are very, very strong. Um, I, I think like, You've got really good options for dealing with some of the problematic stuff that could otherwise give you fits. Things like Rampaging for Ferocidon come to mind as a way to just both attack and shut down weird things like Cat Oven and blunt the impact of things like Uro, which could really ruin your day. So there's really good options for Mono Red. Again, nail the metagame. You benefit from it.
0: Yeah, Mono Red has sideboard options, (laughs) which is not something that we're really used to.
1: It's been amazing, yeah.
0: Yeah, you have you know, Chain Whirler, Ferocidon, Bone Crusher Giant. It's like you have options all up and down the curve for, you know, however you want to build your deck. Like, you know, do you play the Wizard Package, for example? Like, that's another thing. And yeah, all these, all these Mono Red decks are very, very different and they're all trying to accomplish different things because we don't have a lot of hard data as far as what the metagame looks like or what the best decks are so everyone's just trying to figure it out but even when it does settle i mean yeah there's there's going to be churn people are going to be able to adapt even within the scope of playing monored
1: i'm excited for all the data to come out of this weekend that's one of the nice things now about the present era of magic is that i know come monday someone's going to put out one of those beautiful little grids for me and i'm going to be able to have a whole new level of understanding of the format because we'll see how the matchups are and who's beating what
0: yep exactly Big fan, big fan of data, data, right. however you say Either
1: it. Either one. Now, are you talking about the Star Trek character or
0: uh I, I wasn't, I wasn't.
1: Did you ever watch Star Trek?
0: A little no. bit. This is, so when, when I was a kid, we had like four channels, right? And it was- Same, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would just watch whatever was the least worst thing on. So <laughs> yes. I will say that when when M.A.S.H., was the least worst thing on? I didn't, I didn't like it at all because I didn't like that show. But I know that there are like some people that really like that show. I was not.
1: Wondering. I think, I think it's just old people at this point. I don't think anyone listening to this podcast is a huge Mash fan. My father was at my house uh, now almost a year ago because obviously nobody can come to my house anymore. But he was in town watching my dog, and he was like watching Mash, and I'm like, "This show is terrible, Dad. What do you do? You know, there's been like new TV shows made made in the last thirty years, and you don't have to watch this anymore."
0: Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt. So anyway, I watched some Star Trek. It was okay.
1: <laughs> I was a pretty big the next generation fan, but uh, it's been a large number of years, and then only probably two years ago, I went and tried to get back into it and like watch it again. It it didn't go well. It's, oh. it's not something I think you can go back to.
0: Oh no! I a lot of a lot of diehard fans seem to think that know, it, it holds up but- well.
1: And I'm not trying to trash their thing, because like I said, when I was a kid, I I did like it, but I didn't love it. And I think if I loved it as a kid and I went back to it now, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, this really holds up. I don't. uh, Okay, let me say this, too. I started with season one and I am sure that things got much better as you went Mm -hmm. on. And I I didn't make it through season one. So maybe I owe the show another effort or to just start at season two. And, and let things take it from there. Or maybe if someone really feels strongly that I owe it to Star Trek to give it another shot, come to me with some standalone episodes that I should watch. And, yeah. and maybe that'll be enough to get me going.
0: I'm sure that there are several people out there who are like, no, start on season three, episode four or whatever. Right. right. I'm sure. Uh, anyway, Gruul kind of put it in the same bucket as Red, even though they're doing – dramatically different things uh, but really they're both just trying to like kill you by turn four and Collected Company is quite good. Collected Company into haste I'm a big fan of and Burning Tree Emissary being unsuspended opens up a lot of doors for like weird things to happen. We're now People are doing things like Pell Collector on one and then Burning Tree into Zortog Goblin to make like a big Pell Collector. And it's also opened the door for Galia to be really good and give the deck like another source of card advantage. And I've gotten beat by a lot of Galias
1: recently. Oh, that card is great in the deck, like actually great. And one of the cards that absolutely blew me away when I was playing it, uh, the other card was Collected Company because I've never had it actually work before. (laughs) <laughs> so it was real exciting to just always be putting two creatures into play. I, I agree with you. I think Gruul is an excellent deck. And you know that's not my style. I'm I'm not usually a beatdown guy, uh, but I've I've played my games with it. It's well built now. It has answered a bunch of the problems I had with the archetype throughout its time in standard recently. Now it's just a powerful, powerful beatdown deck with some play to it and you can get a little tricksy and you can time your collected company and you do have card advantage with Galia. So I'm a big fan of this deck. I expect very nice numbers out of Gruul after this weekend.
0: Yeah. The, the DFCs are huge also. And the mana base is not bad because you have stomping ground and the pathway. Yep. Uh, and I tried to build various Rakdos decks, you know, reliving my Bowman Courier glory days and like, Blood Crypt, Dragon Skull Summit is not the same thing. And the, the ally color decks need another dual land.
1: Well, like, just, just a matter of time, right? We'll we'll get something resembling the cards we need at some point. Maybe. I, I don't, Pioneer has the same problem too, right? Yeah. It, it's weird. I don't know that it actually benefits the format. I think it just makes it feel awkward. Like, it's interesting. It's interesting that all these colors have their own unique constraints. For a minute, and then when I am actually like trying to engage with the format, I don't want these decisions to be dictated by an imbalance in mana bases. I don't know why. Obviously, like there's imbalances throughout the game that are always dictating things to you and they're always influencing the metagame. But, but something at least about the mana is base, color pie, you know? Yeah, something about the mana base feels worse for some reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, give me give me Sulfur Springs and I'll be happy. I won't complain. Specifically,
1: anymore. the Ice Age sulfur Springs with oh. the demon in the hot tub.
0: Yeah, obviously.
1: Great obviously Sulfur Springs.
0: Uh, Auras. you you were a big Sram fan. Have you Srammed
1: anyone? No, I I'm not going to be the one Sramming. I I've been Srammed and card does what I thought it did and these decks got much better as we suspected. I, I don't remember what my specific breakdown was. I think I said they might push into like tier 1.5. With the addition of SRAM, I think they're just tier one now. I, th- I think the Auras decks really benefited from the redundancy of their lord effects here. And they just always do their thing now. There's, there's no denying the Auras plan. And it's really hard to deny them access to the game. So if your deck doesn't account for the type of things that Auras can do with its best draws, you're going to lose. It, it's just a hard constraint on the format at this point.
0: Yeah, this is another example of deck where if you like turn Timber Ulamog into play versus casting it, it you just lose.
1: Good game. Yeah, yep. you're not you're not beating them.
0: Even then, I mean, they have various things to like protect their thing from Ulamog anyway. So you might still lose regardless, but...
1: Yeah, and good. I mean, like there needs to be some limitation to people trying to Ulamog you and there, there's enough of them. There's good beatdown strategies. And this particular one, I think, does it in a combo-y way. So... It's just nice to see so many avenues of play opened up for the format.
0: Yeah. Uh, Colorless Ramp is another one. Uh, Obviously, like Colorless Deck, Artifact Set, there's probably going to be something. And basically, the scary versions that I've run into are ones that are trying to like Power Stone Shard, Sculpting Steel, and I know that we poo-pooed Sculpting Steel. I think rightfully so. But it does enable these decks to kind of go off with Mystic Forge and stuff. And this is no longer just like, some colorless ramp, like, you know, doing weird stuff. Like now they actually just have a legit legit combo kill.
1: Scary, scary thing for them to have access to. They still feel a pinch too slow, I think. And I I haven't played with her against this. So this is solely looking at the deck list and trying to extrapolate its average turn. So maybe I'm wrong. I'll, I'll say that up front. But just reading the list, I I am concerned they don't cross the speed threshold that I would expect from a deck that's trying to just like power out their endgame. Yeah. What what do you think? Am I off here?
0: No, I I agree with you. So against things like Marvel, again, if I put Ulamog onto the battlefield, maybe not really a big deal. Uh, If I cast it, they probably lose. But, you know, me doing it say I miss with the first Marvel or whatever, and then get to uh retry it on turn five maybe that's a little bit too slow but mm. if they if they have no interaction or are facing like any sort of disruption like a deck like gruel or mono red you can expect to just run them over so right you see some version splashing like extinction event and stuff like that uh to try and play catch up a little bit and i think that's probably the way that you have to go but i don't know regardless like this this is a real deck it's probably not tier one or anything but it's still solid
1: it's hard for me to see a world where I would rather do this than something like the more traditional ramp approach, like Sultai. Like I can either put all my eggs into the basket of making this huge endgame via unplayable cards like Sculpting Steel and the other mana rocks, Or I could just play growth spiral and get a card back and play Uro and get a card back and have all the interaction I could ever want with a pile of thought seizes and extinction events and still have access to an end game that outscales everything else. Because that's what you're trying to do here, right? You're trying to get to, I have this, I win button that if you don't in some way interact with me, I'm just going to do this and you're going to lose. And here it looks like Ulamog, but like, I'm not really sad when it's just a big hydroid crisis. That's usually enough anyway. And granted decks like this probably can prey on the opposing ramp decks because they do it harder, they do it faster, exactly. and you, you don't disrupt them all that well from the Sultai side. So they have a, a niche to fill, but that's about it in my eyes. I don't I don't see them as like surplanting the best Sultai ramp decks in the format.
0: No, me either. I, th- I think it's just good at different things like you pointed out. I mean, maybe you go a little bit bigger than actual Sultai. You're hard to bust up because you're so threat dense and people aren't playing like mass amounts of artifact hate. You know, you're not mm. getting shatter stormed or whatever. Uh, you get to play things like maze mind tome to help you grind and everything. You have Karn main deck, which shuts down Marvel and is decent against cat oven and stuff like that. So there, there are benefits to playing a deck like this for sure. But as far as like power level, speed of the format, it's not quite there.
1: Yeah. It's a sidestep. And a good, healthy format should have sidesteps. So if this can be part of the format, I'm all for it. I want weird things like this to pop up when people aren't accounting for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, Junsec, still good.
1: Agreed. Great core.
0: Yeah. Less less sold on this deck than just Modern or Rule, like one of the straightforward aggro decks, especially since those decks have their own sources of card advantage now. It, it doesn't feel like... You're playing an all-in acro deck when you have like Chandra, Hazoret, Collected Company, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the thing you get when you're playing Junsack is just a better control over opposing small creatures. So if we ever find ourselves in a Lanaware Elves format, I'm pretty happy to be on the Jun Junsack side of things. But I don't know if that's where we're at at this moment. I, that, that's really the big push for me. is just a little bit more interactivity, especially when the bodies are small across the table.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I look at uh, Jund as a deck that is maybe better against like three casting cost creatures and not Land War Elves. Because okay. by the time you kill Lanor Elves, it's it's so late, whereas the red deck has like cheap burn spells and can okay. get under you. Yeah, you know?
1: yeah. I, I see what you're saying. That makes sense.
0: Uh, and then th- those are the decks that I think are like the most interesting or have maybe gotten like the most stuff and are close to being tier one. And then... I don't know. There's some other stuff I want to talk about, like blue white control, God Pharaoh's gift. I don't think they really picked up a lot and aren't super interesting and are the types of decks that are just like a little bit behind in the format.
1: I have felt that way for a long time and I want blue white control to be there, but like we said, gear Hulk, I don't think is doing it. What I've heard people mention in the context of gear Hulk is more Narset setups, people trying to do commit to memory also using like in general Demir shells as opposed to Azoria shells. Yeah. So yep. a little bit more disruption. And that's interesting. I, I still can't get over the gear hulk problem. That's still very present to me. But at least you're doing something different with your control here, your control deck here, and you have like a real finishing plan. And I've loved Narset setups for a long time where you try and basically wheel a fortune and leave your opponent with nothing. So this obviously is going to get my interest. I've done it with Teferi's Puzzle Box. I've done it with, uh, what's the nonsense card that has flashback that gets played in Legacy? Days Undoing, is that the right one?
0: Uh, Echo of Echo Beons. of
1: Beons. right. I always confuse, confuse those two cards. Uh, yeah, Echo of Eons, I've done that in Legacy. So any Narset setup that's trying to mind twist your opponent, I'm in on. I still have Gear Hulk concerns, but I'd like that they're trying something new uh, for that deck.
0: Let me let me tell you about a thing that I ran into when building Marvel and specifically the sideboard is that I don't think you can really turn to dispute in this format. I think the format is like a little too wide for that to be your interactive card.
1: Okay. Well that that's exciting news for Gear Hulk.
0: Yeah. So my my split right now, and I'm I'm fully aware that I might have Gear Hulk problems. Uh, my plan against it was mostly like keeping a couple copies of a braid, but uh, I have two spell pierce and two negate. Which obviously is not very good against that card, but like there are things like Karn and Nyssa where you need cards that are just not dispute.
1: Okay. That that makes sense. And if you're getting stretched thin enough, I, I can see a home for Gear Hulk. I guess there's also the Grafter's Cage problem. And maybe further pushing that problem is the fact that the Blue white decks were main decking Grafdigger's cage previously. So yeah. that was like a large part of their identity, right? Is they wanted to be able to control your graveyard. And if they didn't, they couldn't beat you. Like it's not like they wanted to do that. They had to do that. Otherwise, they were way too vulnerable to things like Uro, everything that the graveyard offers in the historic format. So if you're not doing that anymore, just so you can have access to Gear Hulk, then your Gear Hulk's better be. Real good, and they better be answering a lot of problems for you and I do think like again, going back to the Demir version, at least you're doing something new with your gear hulk. you're not just trying to use it as a value card. you're using it almost like a combo piece, uh, a splinter twin situation, if you will. so i I appreciate that mode of deck building. I'm not convinced it's tier one or even tier two, but it's it's an interesting wrinkle that I'm gonna spend some time on in the next few weeks.
0: yeah, it is interesting because Demir has thoughtsies you can go after you know graveyard matters cards or collected company stuff that cage would normally be good against and you have extinction event which is better against things like uro than than wrath of god would be you know so it's like i think you need cage a little bit less and there are things like cling to dust that you could play if you really needed to where you don't have to be relying on cage but cage is just so good against the decks that it's good against
1: it is. It is. There's a reason it's a large feature of the format.
0: Yeah. Uh, what about Rakdos Pyromancer? Somehow you're the Pyromancer guy and not me.
1: It's just been a minute since I touched Pyromancer, and I I, I don't have a real reason why I was continuing to win. Uh, I also hate calling it Pyromancer. I'd rather call it Arcanist because it really feels like an Arcanist deck to me in this context. Again, a bunch of main deck graveyard hate was problematic for the card, although you had Bedevil, so you were prepared for that. Uh, I don't really know how I drifted away from the deck. I, I wasn't losing too much with it. And then I just started playing other things. And it feels like everyone else went along with me and also stopped playing the deck. So maybe it bears looking at again. I mean, do you see anything in this format that either bodes well for it or bodes poorly?
0: I mean, Sultai going over the top might be an issue. Modern red and Gruul being like a little bit faster and having hard to deal with threats might be an issue. But obviously I like what the deck is doing, you know. Yeah, I, just, I think
1: you can build around all those things. If, if you are conscious of what your opponents are doing, there's a lot of options in the Rakdos colors and you can set up a pretty good game plan against anyone. Uh you know, maybe it means more claim the firstborn or more innocent blood, but there's always ways to account for their strategies.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, maybe it's time to take another look and see what you can figure out. Like now so you used to be pretty bad against graveyard hate, and I don't know. We were doing stuff like trying to sideboard in Hazarets or whatever. But now there's Feed the Swarm for Leyline, although not a lot of people are playing Leyline anymore. No. You have a Braid and Bedevil for Graft Diggers Cage, but like Shandra is also just like really good at yeah at fighting that stuff. So it's worth no, looking at.
1: Yeah, I I think it didn't get the sexiest tools, so maybe our interest got drawn other places, but. Uh, I've loved the deck for a long time. There's really no reason why I shouldn't still be working on it. It Just there's so many options. I mean, so many formats, so many forms of magic to play, not to mention all the other great video games I have to spend all my time playing. It's a tough life out there, Jerry.
0: Dude, I I know. I get it. You feel it. I I feel your pain. I empathize. What about vehicles? What do you know about this? I'm specifically not saying Mardu vehicles. I'm just saying vehicles.
1: I understand why you're not saying Marty vehicles. Although I will say when we talked about Heart of Kieran last week, somehow we forgot about Gideon Blackblade as a reasonable three mana thing that could interact with it and fuel it. And that does seem like the best three mana Planeswalker, but... I wouldn't I think- say I
0: forgot about Gideon, but it, it, it does look fine. I will say that. Like Holy Diva got pretty high on the latter playing Mardu, but her her only white cards were Toolcraft and Gideon.
1: Right. And, and that's what I was getting to is, I'm just not sure you need these white cards. But the problem is your red black mana isn't all that good. So what I've seen out of vehicles list thus far, I've been underwhelmed. They all seem to have some flaw. Either they're not effectively crewing their heart of Kirin's or they are really stretching their mana base for something like Gideon Blackblade in order to effectively fuel them, but then you have to play the mana lottery every single time you shuffle up. and Building that mana base is fun, be. though. See, I, I don't have the same love for building mana bases <laughs> you do. I, I like to build the deck and then send you it and be like, make this mana base work for me, please.
0: Dude, that's what it was like the few times I tested with Jeff Cunningham in like the early 2000s. We would play on Apprentice and he he would have a deck that like wasn't even like a difficult deck to make a mana base for it would be like esper like white weenie but esper so it's like do you play like some some fetches and like some dual lands or whatever right and he was just like well, oh, there weren't
1: that many options back then either
0: yeah exactly that's why it wasn't so hard and he's just like well i i haven't figured it out yet to so just treat all my lands like rainbow lands and i was like this is not <laughs> this is not good testing man
1: i like that policy
0: but yeah so but that was that was playing on apprentice testing for
1: extended pro tours I'm going to ask all my opponents on our Arena to honor that setup as well. Just treat them like Rainbow Lens. Yeah. And
0: I was like, can we at least start you at 18 or something? You know, he's like, <laughs> no.
1: Some kind of drawback to this policy. All right.
0: Whatever. Fine, man. So the Rectos mana does suck. And this week I wanted to write about Bowman Courier very badly. And I did a decent amount of work and eventually just scrapped it and was like, oh, I guess I have to write about Marvel because that's like – the next thing that I'm most knowledgeable about. And the day I was writing my article, Nick Prince messages me and he's just like, yo, dude, I'm crushing it with Rakdos vehicles, man. Like this deck, He didn't say it was busted, but like that was the takeaway that I, I got from him.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Nick's list was one of the ones I saw. And when I looked at it again, it looked light for Heart of Curin. It just didn't seem like it could effectively crew that card. It, I think if I remember the list, I'm just trying to go off the top of my head, but it was like two Chandras were the only Planeswalkers, and then it had the Skyclave Shade and Scrapheap Scrounger Suite, but I don't know if he was maxing Skyclave Shade or not. Do you recall?
0: Okay, so he might have, he the list he sent me had Chain Whirler in it, so he didn't have Skyclave right. Shade. Okay, okay, so, so, this, so maybe
1: there were no Skyclave Shades.
0: No, so this, this could be a new list, because I think I convinced him to call it Chain Whirler. Uh, so he had, the list he sent me had like Ferocidon and, uh, Chain Whirler and some other stuff. But like, what I was trying to do was, uh, Bowmat and Inventor's Apprentice and he had Soulscar Mage and I was just always really unimpressed with Soulscar Mage in those decks. But mm-hmm. then he was also saying that he was like putting up absurd win rates. So I was like, oh, maybe I should actually try this.
1: Sure. But yeah. Sky
0: Cleave Shade's is another one where it's like, okay, that, that heart just fine.
1: Yeah, that I, I think you need more of that. And some of the lists I've seen have been lighter on Skyclave. The ones that seem closest to me would just be four Scrounger, four Shade, four Hearts. And now we're kind of talking. And then I wanted to do a look and see what three mana planeswalkers were in those colors. No matter how bad they were, I thought there was some basis for just curving out there. Like, is Tybalt actually that bad? If you just get to curve into it and like make a one-one and immediately activate your heart. I'm not uh, sure.
0: Chandra Acolyte of Flame is probably the one you want.
1: Yeah. So re- can you remind me of the abilities on that? Does It ha- It has a plus, right? So it's one RR, four loyalty.
0: It's zero to add one loyalty to every red Planeswalker you have. Okay. Zero to make two 1-1s one with Haste that dive in and turn, and then minus two to like Snapcasters. Uh, right. So
1: the Snapcaster ability is pretty appealing because we're going to be a Thoughtseize deck. And I like the idea of Chandra, Thoughtseize you, that that tracks. That seems like a very real mid-range-ish plan you could do. So this is the deck I am most interested in when it comes to vehicles. A, a tighter package, lower casting costs, maxing shade, and scrounger. So you're really, really redundant, always coming out of your graveyard. But also just like, that's a really nice curve. You You have aggression built into your deck from the beginning. And you're just going to steal some games that way to go along with your disruption. And that's interesting to me.
0: Yeah, so this this is gonna be my my homework for the week, I think, is just working on this sort of thing because me trying to do inventor's apprentice stuff where it's like, oh, I guess I have to play like Pia Nalar instead of like Bone yeah. Crusher at my three drop or whatever. I don't know. I don't know about that. No, it's it's bad. It is bad. That card I like that card a lot. I like all forms of the Nalar family, right? But mm-hmm. they just they don't hold up super well. Let me tell you.
1: Yeah, I agree with you.
0: Yeah, so I, I like what what Nick did. And uh, that's just another example of like, I have my preconceived notions of how something should be built. And it really helps to have other folks weigh in with their opinions and like how they would build it. And, yep. you know, I mean, he sent me a list with Chain Whirler and I was like, well, maybe, you know, half of my deck, half of your deck and we, we got a stew going.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's often how this works, right? You take a little bit of an idea from column A, a little bit from column B, put them together, and end up with something special. So
0: Exactly. So I, I think that this deck is like a sleeper pick.
1: Okay. I'm interested to see where we end up with uh on this one by the time next week rolls around.
0: A lot of a lot of talk about this. You know, once once we add Skyclave shade to the mix, I was wondering why it's like, oh, maybe we should be like mono black, but the one drops there aren't good. And, you know, you're not getting Chandra. You don't really have like a good card advantage thing like red has. You don't get Bowman Courier, a Braid, stuff like that. So I guess red, black still makes sense.
1: I think mono black deserves a look. I mean, look, there's just an existing mono black deck now, which I also think is quite good. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of how they're building the baseline aggro deck. But looking at it as a Heart of Cure deck is interesting. Again, I have to think about like, what three mana planeswalkers are out there in black kind of regardless of how bad they are. I don't think Davriel is going to make the cut. Like it just can't really effectively crew heart for any length of time. And I'm not sure there's another three mana one out there. There's gotta be, right? There's gotta be one more three mana black planeswalker.
0: Uh, Not, not that I can think of. I was also momentarily distracted because I started looking at white, black,
1: Ah, oh, Lord! We both are at the stage of the podcast where we're trying to build decks as opposed to speak to each other,
0: <laughs> dude. It's the best part. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that means I think that means we've had an effective show. Is when we've reached that point where we're just both anxious to put together a deck.
0: Yeah. the The problem is I haven't drafted enough to get all my bow mats and scrap heaps grounders.
1: So. Yeah, head back to those draft queues. We we laid the playbook out. This is how you get ahead. Either that, or just bust out the old wallet and and make it happen.
0: Dude, one of the dangerous things that I do is join the queue, maybe play a match, and I'm like, I'm bored, and then I just never go back and play that deck.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I know that one. I've done it many times, and I'm I almost certain there's probably like a Zendikar draft half finished on you know, my account right now. Oh, yeah. There's, there's, there's virtually no chance there's not.
0: Yeah, there's one on my account, and I was surprised that they haven't closed the queue yet, but...
1: They stay open for a while, I think.
0: <laughs> it doesn't seem like that, because they certainly close on me a lot.
1: Well, but I sit there for a long time.
0: So. Yeah, yeah. I'm just letting them sit there for like a month.
1: Right, right.
0: Anyway, uh, Goblins is the last one. I think that that's still like a pretty reasonable deck. Obviously, you have, you know, sweeper issues and thoughtsies issues and cage issues, but kind of doing the most powerful thing in
1: the format. So yeah, Chandra Pickup is real good there too. It I think it is. A lot too. of the problems.
0: Yeah, I mean, being so being able to play it and... Just like plus into a wily goblin or whatever. I mean, yep. you can't you can't discount that. Like it, that that sort of thing is so good for a deck like that to be able to do. And then you have this thing that also like to Damascus gets you a little bit of card advantage. Can I don't know kill random pigs and whatnot. So
1: yeah. No, I, I think the goblins deck does a good job of using all the parts of the Chandra Buffalo, like all the pieces. And things it can do are important for that deck. And they address real problems the deck previously had. Like you mentioned the Thoughtseize problem. Well, here's a way to rebuild. I, again, after Sweepers, like Chandra can be your rebuild plan. Or it could be your reach in some instances, right? If you yeah. find a way to to go ahead and get value with that. So I, I think all of these things were something Goblins was missing previously. And you shouldn't discount what a well-rounded pickup can mean to the archetype. For sure. Anything else? No, that is it. I I need to go build decks now, so we have to end the podcast. Sign us out. That's game. Good luck.